Good to be sharing with you uh, this morning. Uh, even I live in Blairstown, New Jersey. I pastored there for 25 years in the Free Church before retiring uh, some 10 years ago, and God's led us to work with our district over the last 10 years. So it's always a joy to come here. I remember worshiping with you when you were all up on the mountain uh, in the uh, factory building that you had reconverted or converted and then the move down here. And uh, we are just so excited to be here today to see new folks uh, that we don't know and haven't seen before when we visited and also those who are familiar to us. Uh, As you're here this morning, I invite you to turn in your scriptures if you uh, have copies or on your phones to access uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. Uh, We'll be reading the entire text in a moment and uh, preaching from it uh, this morning as we explore together putting the Sabbath in its place. Uh, For both of these accounts in Mark 2 and 3, reference the Sabbath day. I've got an admission to make. I'm an NCAA March Madness fanatic. And I just love basketball, played it myself, but I, uh, my wife has to bear with me uh, during this time of year because I can be glued to the TV or recording uh, some of the games. And I found as I watched those games that regulations are very important to the playing of NCAA basketball games. In fact, regulations shape all of our lives in some fashion. Uh, Think of a basketball game without three-point lines or or 10-foot basket, high baskets, or half-court lines, or officials to officiate. It would be chaos. Uh, Think of driving down a road without lanes defined or signs directing you. It would be chaos. Uh, Think of our country without civil laws. Again, chaos would reign. Regulations, in some ways, shape our lives. Now keep that in mind because as we come to the text this morning and as we read the text, we're going to find some significant things about regulations being imposed on the Sabbath and just how that fits with how God wants us to relate to the Sabbath day in our lives. Now I have to admit that as we read the text this morning, our Western indifference in our nation as well as in the whole Western world towards Sabbath observances can put readers today of this text at a distinct disadvantage in understanding the importance of the Sabbath in Judaism and in our text. Uh, There were two observances that defined Judaism in that day that we read of in the text. One is the importance of, of circumcision. The other is the importance of Sabbath keeping. Uh, So we might expect, uh, From sundown on Saturday night, or sundown Friday night, until sundown on Saturday night, uh, that there would be certain rules and laws that a good Jew would observe regarding the Sabbath. Uh, We might expect some of those laws like uh, no plowing, that's work. Uh, No hunting, uh, that's work. No butchering of meat, uh, that's work. But there were some rules that the Jewish people had placed upon them by the Pharisees uh, that we would not expect. Uh, They were to refrain from tying knots on the Sabbath. That was work. Uh, They were to refrain from sewing more than one stitch on the Sabbath. 
because two stitches is work. One stitch was okay. Uh, they were not to write more than one letter on the Sabbath, one, one letter like A on the Sabbath. Uh, they weren't to walk more than 880 meters. If they walked further, uh, that was working. And so this was the culture that they grew up in. And even today in Israel, among the ultra-Orthodox Jews, regulations on Sabbath are still important. I read an incident of an ultra-Orthodox Jewish rabbi who was flying on El Al airline. And he noted on his reservation form that he needed to be sure that there were some body bags on the plane that would be available to him if necessary, because for an Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox priest, fly, uh, the ritual law would state that he could not enter a cemetery or else he would become ceremonially unclean. Now we're thinking airplane, cemetery. Well, for him and their regulations, flying over a cemetery was the same thing as entering into it. Now, to my ears and to your ears, that sounds bizarre, does it not? But it, it harks back to what we're going to read this morning, the way that Jews perceived regulations and rules for the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles open or your uh, devices turned on, I'm going to begin reading in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and read through Mark 3, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he, David, entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some of it to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking, that's the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Lord, speak to our lives. We're here in this building on the day that we set aside as the Sabbath. And yet, Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to learn from you. So speak to my heart and speak to our hearts about what the purpose of the Sabbath is for us and how to fulfill the uh, meaning and the purpose of the Sabbath in our lives and how that weaves into our Christian faith and our Christian development. So, Lord, speak, I pray. 
For it's in your name we ask it. Amen. Key verse in this whole passage that we read is really the sixth verse of chapter 3. It says in that verse that the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So I want to start there and work my way backwards into the text. But the clear warning here from the Pharisees is, watch him. Keep watching Jesus. Watch his disciples. See what he's doing. We want to try to catch him. We want to accuse him. We want to find fault in him. It's interesting that in this whole section of scripture from Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we have five uh, controversies that Mark now has put together. These two that we've read of this morning are the last two. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, the question was, who can forgive sins? Forgiveness was the issue there. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, who can eat with sinners? He's eating with sinners. Uh, And uh, the text of Mark uses the doctor-patient analogy there. Uh, Jesus is the soul doctor. He comes to heal the sick, to heal sinners. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, the issue was fasting or not fasting, uh, as uh, they should. And Jesus is pictured there in relationship to his people as the bridegroom coming to celebrate with them. And now in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, the issue was working on the Sabbath. And in 3, 1 to 6, the issue was healing on the Sabbath. The controversies have come. The Pharisees are seeking accusations against Christ. The opposition is rising. In Mark chapter 2, It was in a silent accusation, for it's in that text that Jesus says he saw into their hearts and he knew that they were questioning who can forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 24, uh, the intensity comes as they now openly question Jesus verbally. And then in the sixth verse that we've looked at and see as the key to the text this morning, uh, we see that they conclude with a plot against his life. Now, did you notice in Mark chapter 3 and verse 6 that the Pharisees, the religious establishment in Judaism, and the Herodians, the secular establishment, those who were in favor of Herod and the ruling authorities, they come together. And I believe that, folks, this is a foreshadowing early in Jesus' ministry of what is going to ultimately happen at his death where Caiaphas, the high priest, the religious personality, and Pilate, the secular ruler, come together and participate in the events that eventually lead to Christ's death on the cross. My main idea this morning is this. Human beings, we attempt to make ourselves acceptable to God, sometimes by just following the rules. But God's activity in these texts and in our life opens up the way of acceptance for men and for women because of who he is and because of what he has done and what he does. And that's the two points we follow this morning. Uh, Follow with me then as we look at both of these stories, beginning with the first one in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Uh, Christ declares his authority over the Sabbath. Christ declares his authority over the Sabbath in this section of Mark. Who he is. This is what I would refer to as the cornfield incident. The disciples are walking through the cornfields. They're hungry. They pick grain as they're going along. 
and uh, they're accused of working on the Sabbath by the Pharisees. Now, did you notice the text as we began? My text, the NIV, begins with the words, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. I believe the Greek reads, and it came to pass. This did not just happen by chance. Uh, This was a divinely ordained confrontation of the traditions of the pseudo-pious Pharisees and the truth of the Lord of the Sabbath and who he is. Matthew, in fact, uses the word in this incident, kairos, for a time, which is an opportune time. It's a kairos moment. It's a moment where Christ is going to declare once again who he is and how he works. Deuteronomy 23:25 implies that in the case of hunger, that's the Old Testament laws, in the case of hunger, it was permissible to eat heads of grain from any field that one might pass by. Now, the Pharisees interpreted that in this way. They sought to guard against working on the Sabbath, so they said, we're going to prohibit even minimal work, like plucking some grains, uh, a grain of wheat, that would be involved in satisfying one's hunger. So they had the rule, the regulation needed to be followed. Verse 24 begins and says, Look, look, what, why are they doing, the disciples, what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I like that word, look, there. What were the Pharisees doing out in the field on the Sabbath? Why weren't they at synagogue? Why weren't they worshiping the Lord, uh, the God that they said that they adored? But no, they're out in the fields on the Sabbath. And the implication here is that they were looking for Sabbath violations. Absolutely no room in their hearts for making any exception, even if someone was starving. The Pharisees are thinking, gotcha, Jesus. We got you now. You're violating the rules. Uh, They thought they were pleasing God by keeping all the rules. But folks, I've got to tell you, religion without relationship does just that. Religion without relationship does just that. It's just a set of rules that we have to keep without the relationship with one who loves us deeply. Verse 25 we see that Jesus' response is very pointed. I love the way Jesus responds. Have you never read what David did? It's Jesus saying to the Pharisees, Hey, guys, haven't you read your Bibles? Don't add your own traditions onto the teaching of God. When you add your own traditions, they can cause bondage and legalism instead of a heart to serve God and meet needs of others. In fact, Pharisees, Your interpretation of the law doesn't take into account the need that David and his men had that we find in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. And thus it follows that, at least in the sense of need, when somebody is needy and they're hungry, actions are allowed on the Sabbath that otherwise might not be permitted. I believe Jesus is showing here the spirit of the law, and that takes precedence over the letter of the law. Verse 27, Jesus explains clearly the point here is that man, women, human beings are not confined by the Sabbath and all of its regulations, but the Sabbath is given as a gift to you and to me. 
for spiritual and physical refreshment, for benefit and for blessing. And it's all rooted in creation where God created for six days and then he too rested. It's a day, folks, meant for blessing, not a burden, but it had become that. And the statement that man is made for, or uh, uh, the statement that Jesus states, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, is only found here in this text. It's here because Jesus wants to uh, make sure that these man-made rules and these regulations of the Sabbath that had become a a burden weren't what Sabbath was all about. Uh, They had to be cautious, cautious people did, according to the Pharisees, about what they did, where they went, how far they went. Uh, Kistemacher, in his uh, commentary, states this, The Sabbath was instituted to be a blessing for human beings, to keep them healthy, to make them happy, to render them holy. Man was not created to be the Sabbath's slave, to be a burden under your dreadful regulations. The purpose of the Sabbath was never to put people into a straitjacket, just, oh, I've got to obey all these regulations, but it was to provide a time of rest and an opportunity for worship, and that's what Jesus is declaring here. And so it says in verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus is the master of the day, for he's the one who created the Sabbath. Uh, He's the one who's the Lord of the Sabbath, And he can determine the rules for the Sabbath observance. He's the one who created it. He knows the correct meaning of it. And so the Son of Man, God incarnate himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this principle is true. Because the Son of Man is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that's the principle. The focus here has been on the authority. Who has authority on the Sabbath? It's not the Pharisees. But it's Jesus Christ, the Lord. But now the focus shifts as we come to the story about the Sabbath healing in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3. For here now we not only see the principle that Jesus is the authority and the Lord of the Sabbath, but we see the demonstration of Christ's power on the Sabbath, what he does. It's not just about who he is, but it's about what he does. And this story is the Sabbath story, the synagogue story, the shriveled hand incident. Follow it with me. The Pharisees, they believe that healing is a form of work, and it's not permitted on the Sabbath. And they are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. That's what the text says clearly. They're seeking to mount some sort of a legal case against Jesus by collecting evidence. Their hostility has intensified, and they watch him so they could accuse him. Now, Jesus is not intimidated by his opponents. Uh, He makes the Sabbath healing an intentionally public incident. Notice that the Pharisees are convinced of Jesus' healing powers. Did you catch that in verse 2? I find that very interesting, for it says there in verse 2 of chapter 3, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Uh, They knew that Jesus had healed before and could heal now. The question is, would he? And they were watching. They were watching to accuse him. But I've got to tell you, people are watching you and me as well. 
Uh, People watched Daniel. Do you remember the accounts in Daniel chapter 1? They were watching Daniel to see if he would fail and if his faith was real. Not all people are watching us as the Pharisees are. Some might be to accuse us, to condemn us. But I believe that there are some who are watching us out of curiosity. Why do these people live the way they do? What is it that motivates them in the face of difficulties to carry on? What is it that drives them to to be joyful in a time that maybe is not so joyful and pleasant? What it is what is it that gives them confidence to to see that life has hope and that life has a meaning and purpose? People are watching us too, just like they were watching Jesus here, the Pharisees were. Now rabbinic law allowed for healing on the Sabbath, but it was only in the event that a life was in danger. Now, that is not the case here. Uh, The Pharisees' extra-biblical traditions missed the whole point of the Mosaic Law, which Jesus had summed up in two two, uh, phrases, to love God and to love one's neighbors. The Pharisees, they simply want to accuse Jesus. They are denying Jesus the right to do good on the Sabbath, while they're conspiring to do evil on the Sabbath. I find it interesting that here in this text, 1 to 6, if you look at it closely, Jesus wants to heal a man and do good on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees want to bring out a plot to kill Jesus and destroy him. So much different, so different from each other. So Jesus says to the man, Okay, come up on center stage. For Jesus, human need posed a moral imperative. No question was asked by the religious leaders, but Jesus knew what was racing through their minds. Uh, He knew that the Pharisees' religion was all about fulfilling stipulations, obeying the rules, just following the rules that didn't depend on relationship with this man who needed healing or with Jesus, who was the Lord of the Sabbath. And yet, true religion spiritual life is about the disposition of our hearts which cannot remain unmoved in the face of suffering so here in verse 4 Jesus asked the Pharisees a question you care about the Sabbath don't you gentlemen whose thoughts are nearer to the purpose of the Sabbath your thoughts you're plotting to kill me or my thoughts I want to heal a man who's deeply in need You can't remain at this point. I want to heal this man. You want to kill me. And they, it says in the text, were silent. You see, the goal of the Pharisees to maintain the Sabbath had actually ruined it. And for the Pharisees, it wasn't about the heart. It wasn't about relationship with the God, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of creation. But it was about the things that they could empirically test and empirically observe, like not healing or not eating on the Sabbath. The text says, verse 5, that Jesus was angry. His anger, however, is couched in compassion for the man and even compassion for the Pharisees. He's deeply disturbed, uh, and because of their stubborn hearts, they consistently fail to recognize who Jesus really was. I like what Tim Keller says about this text. He says, the hearts of the Pharisees were as shriveled as the man's hand. 
The hearts of the Pharisees were as shriveled because they didn't have that relationship with the Lord of the Sabbath. This morning, I need to ask myself, we need to look at ourselves and say, is there a hardness in our hearts this morning that we need Jesus to heal? Our, our, our hearts shriveled up some way. We're just about obeying Jesus because of the rules and the regulations that we perceive that Christianity puts on us by virtue of what the Bible shares with us. Or do we have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ that wants to obey him because of who he is and what he does? The man obeyed. He came forth. And faith is that public risk. He took faith that Jesus is worthy of our trust. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And the thing that the man could not do, he did. The law concerning the Sabbath permitted him great joy. But what it could not do was heal the man. Only Jesus could do that. So that's the two points this morning, folks. One, Jesus has authority in your life and my life because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But then Jesus not only just has authority, but then he demonstrates clearly in this case that he has the power to heal and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So what are the applications for us? This was a long time ago. Situations have changed. But I believe that there are some applications for us this morning that we need to clearly hear from this text. There's a big difference between I obey, therefore God accepts me. And I am accepted by God, therefore I obey. Alistair Begg puts it that way. I obey, therefore I am accepted. That was the Pharisees. I obey, I keep all the regulations, I keep all the rules, and therefore I am accepted by God, the God I think uh, is there, rather than I'm accepted by a God who wants a relationship with me, who died on the cross for me, who loves me, and therefore I obey. Do you know the grace of that gospel? Do you know the joy of obeying God because he has accepted you and accepted me? Because he died on the cross for our sins. First application is this. When will we see Jesus as he is? When will we see Jesus as he is? You see, Mark's point here, I believe, throughout these five controversies in chapter 2 into chapter 3 of Mark, is this. That one group after another was missing the real understanding of who it was who stood in their midst. Who can forgive sins? Who can heal on the Sabbath? Who can have uh, authority on the Sabbath? Uh, those were the questions that were being asked. Who is this one? When will they see it? When will we see who he really is in our lives? Is he the Lord of your Sabbath? Is he the Lord of your life? God wants you and me to be free from striving for self-righteousness. Well, I need to do this to please God uh, rather and give us rest for our souls in the relationship that we have with him. When will we see him as he is? That was the question throughout this text. Secondly, we need to take time on the Sabbath to review the principles by which we're living life. I think Sabbath is a time for me to, to take time to press into my life the meaning of why I do what I do. I, I think Sabbath is that time that I review back over the six days before 
today and I say, God, I need to review and think through how you have been working, how you have been uh, in my life and using me and seeking to grow me. And then, Lord, what are the possibilities that you have for me and opportunities in the days to come? We all need opportunity, folks, regularly, I believe, as believers, to review in fellowship with others as well as in private those guiding principles, even religious rules, because we do live by rules by which we live our lives. Sabbath is a day, instead of thinking about production, we need to think about presence. Uh, Sabbath is a day I, I come apart, I come aside, I, I, I stop the production of what I do in my life, and I, I take joy in the presence of my Savior. Mary Bell states that achievement is the alcohol of our lives. I believe in America that that is so much the case. Achievement is the alcohol of our lives. Activity is our drug, our numbing agent. So often when I get asked, well, how was your day? What do I start to do? What do you start to do? I start to recount, well, I did this this morning, and I did this at noon, and I did this this afternoon, and I did this, and I'm going to be doing this tonight to show that I'm busy, I'm productive. And, and that can be a, a, a drug, as it were, in my life. The Sabbath, I believe, is a resistance against a world that's saying to you and to me, we're mere cogs in a machine. We're just there to do our work and uh, keep doing it over and over again. I believe Sabbath is a time to come aside, review and think and press meaning into our lives because of our relationship with our Savior. A third application is this. Sabbath needs to create space for rest, play, and reflection. Rest, play, and reflection. Marva Dawn, who writes on Sabbath often, says this, Sabbath is about four things. Ceasing, resting, embracing, feasting. The world says go fast. God says slow down, rest, reflect. Cease, feast. Sabbath creates space for that and reflection in our lives. Application number four. Practically from this text, I believe we need to be open to sharing food, a meal with others in need of friendship or fellowship and connection. I think we've lost this in our culture at times. But here in this second chapter, verses 23 to Uh, 28, I believe the focus here is there are people who have needs, needs for friendship, needs for fellowship, needs for connection. And so the question becomes, am I open to sharing food, a meal with others who need friendship, fellowship, or looking for relationship within a Christian community or a Christian context? Uh, I believe that that's part of the application here. Are there those among us here seated this morning that have a need for me? to fellowship and to share and to care for them. Application five, the Sabbath is a great day to do good for others. Am I willing to meet the needs of others? I heard a story last night. We were with some friends, and they were saying that there was a woman who had come to attend their church, and she had some heavy furniture in the back of her car that she had trouble moving. And immediately after church, there were those who volunteered and said, well, look, let's go and let's help her move these things into her uh, place of living. Am I willing 
to meet the needs of others, to do good for them as part of my Sabbath celebration. The Sabbath is a day to do good to others. It's a day to heal, to share God's love. It's not a day for profit, but it is a time to take time apart to worship and glorify God together with other believers and to do good for them and with them. And then my last application is this. Are you willing and am I willing to see someone greater? There's a need to reflect on and delight in the goodness of what God has done and who he is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of life. He is the creator of the world. He's your creator and my creator. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who forgives your sins when you come to you and when you come to him. There needs to be time to reflect and delight in his goodness. Who is Jesus? In these pronouncement stories are hidden over and over again the claims of Jesus Christ about himself that we can't miss. He is the one who forgives sins. He is the soul doctor who comes to heal the sick, the sinner. He's the bridegroom coming soon to receive his bride, the church. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now listen carefully. I believe Sabbath is a structured reminder. It's a structured day in our lives. Each week that comes along, and it comes for all of God's people together, gathered together to return to their maker, who intricately crafted them in love. Sabbath is a day when we all together can run back to the presence of God in our sacred lives. A.J. Swoboda says, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. We are not what we do, but we are who we are loved by. Sabbath, it's designed for you and me to point us to the ultimate rest that we find in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Is he your Lord? Is he the God of grace in your life? Do you live in relationship to him, just joyful to know that he's accepted you and loved you because of who he is? because of what he's done, and then you and I get to follow him and serve him in an obedience, live for him, yes, by certain rules and regulations, but they're not burdens because of the relationship that we have with the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that as we in this sanctuary have come apart today in obedience to the fact that on Sabbath On that day that we declare to be our Sabbath day, uh, worship is a piece of that. And being together in community is a piece of that. And so, Lord, we come. But we come because we want to rest in you. We want to reflect on who you are and what you've done. And we want to joyfully encourage each other. And we want to joyfully walk together in doing good. And, and uh, it just in meeting the needs of those around us. So, Lord, as we conclude this morning, speak to each one of us what you need to say. And remind us, Lord, of who you are and what you've done for us so that we can have joy and rest in the Sabbath that's been given to us, not as a burden, but as a blessing to enjoy our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.